Hi, I'm Marshall Adams. I'm a cinematographer on Better Call Saul, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Marshall Adams, the director of photography of Better Call Saul, season six. Marshall, welcome back to the show. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. It's great to see you. Thanks we so had much, you, Ben. It's great to have me. Yeah, we ha- we've had you on at least, I think we've had you on twice before. Once for El Camino, and I think we had you on for Better Call Saul as well. So, Last season, yeah. And yes. actually, just to clarify, uh, this season, I actually only shot the uh, odd number episodes. Uh, uh, Paul shot the, actually, Paul, my A-camera operator from, uh, from, actually, he's been the operator since season two, shot the even number episodes. What's Paul's last name? Let's give him a plug here. Uh, I never oh, remember. No. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's oh, you don't know how to pronounce Donaki, it. Donaki, yeah, Donaki, Donaki. That's it. I was oh, finally God. corrected. Somebody, he, Paul, and all the years we worked together, he never told me so <laughs> that I was mispronouncing his name all this time. <laughs> so. Paul Donaki, there you go. Yeah. So, so you did, and that is carrying through to the second half of season six. I'm assuming too, right? Yeah. Now that mid-season break was never actually planned. Um, I think it was born out of necessity for for post mostly. But uh, so yeah, it wasn't written that way, and we, we certainly didn't shoot it that way. So. Oh, that's interesting. So you you that was never intended. That was because because that's kind of a common thing for people in their last seasons. Ozark did it. Sopranos did it. A bunch of shows will sort of break things up on their last season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, even Breaking Bad. Did it, uh, exactly. Did it also too, yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were one of the first, but yeah, no, I, it was never planned that way. It just, uh, it's just kind of the way it fell down and also, you know, and that, you know, crazy finale to the last episode. So, uh, which I hope people have seen by now, but anyway, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it wasn't planned that way, but, uh, it's oddly how it landed. How are you feeling now with better call Saul wrapped up for you, wrapping up for us as audience members? I mean, there's got to be something bittersweet about putting a show like this to bed. I mean, really talk about ending on a high note. Uh, it, it's just got to feel something. What are you feeling? Oh yeah. I'm, uh, I'm sad to see it go. I really am. Um, it's been one of the best experiences of my, my career for sure. Um, but you know, also because it was the last season, we got to put a lot more into it. We had, you know, more days, more time, um, you know, some, uh, which I think was partly aided by COVID, but uh, but anyway, so yeah, we really did it. We did it right this year. Uh, so that you know that that was part of it. But uh, yeah, it's definitely it's bittersweet. I, I will miss it for sure. Any memories, moments you can share from the very last time you were on set with the crew? Um, like what did that day feel like? How, how do you leave a show like this and? just not just know that you're not going back to it. Like there, there's got to be, it's got to be such a strange feeling. I mean, everything that I do is very short terms, commercials, you know, a corporate video, you're on set with people for two, three days maximum. So you don't, you don't have that same connection. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, multiple years actually. And I had done one episode of Breaking Bad. So I'd met most of these folks back in 2012. So we're talking, you know, 10 years all in. Um, 
Yeah, it was very, it was tough. I mean, everybody was choked up. I mean, I remember even Jonathan, who finished maybe a week before we did uh, and and gave a talk to the crew. He was just absolutely in tears and grumpy old man, you know, he just choked up completely. So it was really sweet. It was, uh, and and Bob and Ray, you know, they, they did a really nice send off. We were finished with uh, a scene with them. And, uh, and, you know, at the end, they both talked for a long time about, you know, how, what a joy it was to work with us and get to know everybody. And, uh, it's a real family for sure. Well, you're giving the fans one hell of a season. That's for sure. And it really all begins. I mean, you can tell from the very first episode of season six, like this is going to be a season like none other. And I'd like to dive in a little bit to that episode because so much happens that is just so different and unique and worthwhile of a conversation. And uh, personally, I want to know about starting with the opening sequence, which anybody that watches Better Call Saul, you know that your opening sequence is going to give you a little clue into what's going on with Saul now, like what's happening now. And it's usually in black and white. And this time, you have, it's black and white for a few seconds, but you see a whole bunch of ties sort of falling into a, well, you don't know what it is at first, but it's revealed that it's falling into like a moving box and the ties are black and white and then they get colorful and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, this is in color? Is this not a flashback or a forward? What is going on? And you just become instantly disoriented from what you're expecting from Better Call Saul. And then it just goes into this amazing one shot with the camera flowing through Saul's home as movers are there moving stuff out. It really does feel like a choreographed ballet in a way. And I was so surprised to hear when researching that episode that this was a dance troupe that you used. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. t- for the, for the, for the uh, t- uh, talent, tell me about that opening scene um, and how you achieved it. Well, so <clears throat> I think um, a lot of the things that you just talked about were uh, brainchilds, you know, when the script came out, it said, we are in glorious color, um, which, you know, was kind of kind of um, uh, surprise people as it was. But Michael Morris, who was our producer director this season, uh, he directed uh, a couple episodes, season five and one season four, just a fantastic director. He had that idea about the box, which I absolutely loved. And as we progressed and we realized that that scene was going to be this wonder, um, it just began to make more and more sense to get people that could choreograph, could hit marks, could keep time. That was actually the original thought was actually that we were going to play, uh, you know, play a music, play a song or something or time uh, uh, keep of some sort. So anyway, so that was all Michael's idea. So we actually spent an entire weekend with that dance troupe in that house choreographing every one of those scenes to the second wow. uh, and then came back the next day or two actually and shot it. So, uh, so yeah, it was, and it, it just paid off. I mean, they, they hit it time and time again, beautifully, you know, we could make final, you know, little tiny adjustments, but you know, when you start on a set, uh, you know, kind of trying to build that, it takes a long time. So it, it saved us an enormous amount of time and it just was, you know, it, we could see the magic in it almost immediately. Even when I'm walking around with my phone, it was like, wow, this is really going to be cool. 
So, uh, How were you keeping time? You had mentioned you were considering playing an audio track or something. What did you end up doing? It was actually, it ended up being uh, um, our first AD just basically kept track of everything and was cueing people actually on the spot. But they could tell, they got to the point after, and we did a little bit, uh, we played a little bit of music during some of the rehearsals, but it got to the point where they, they just knew the exact moments that they had to be in places and... Uh, and also, the, you know, the hard part is we never know what the music track is going to be up front, obviously. So, um, so you know, you don't want to you don't want to get them going too much in a direction that, that you know that it's not going to end up that way. So, um, but anyway, yeah, that was that was all Michael Rich Rich Sickler, my first AD, the guy I was joined to the hip with all season long, uh, was just fantastic. He was actually in episode five. He was the crazy looking guy with the mohawk that was standing out of Saul's office. No way. <laughs> Tattoos on the side of his head, painted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Rich. He's awesome. But anyway. Yeah, he got all set up. I mean, he obviously got get dressed for that part, but uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, when you're working on a scene like this, and you know that you have a pretty substantially long one or shot that goes through this entire place, <clears throat> how are you preparing for something like this? Um, I mean, obviously, you need to be able to have your camera move around unencumbered with no problems, but you also need to light in a way where kind of everywhere you land it's exposed correctly and it's exactly what you want. So can you talk to me about how you sort of strategized that opening scene? Uh, you know, the big thing is I work really closely with the art department all along the way to make sure that, uh, that you know, if we have a set like that that's got practicals in it, that we're going to see the whole thing, obviously. I, you know, so, I, uh, you know, it's all about bulb choice and, and, you know, what kind of bulb it is and what exactly we're trying to do with it. So I work closely with the art department and the set dressers to make sure that we could do that, especially in that inside area there. That was actually, uh, that's a real house that we shot in, in Albuquerque, where the bed was, was uh, was like a living room area. And that whole closet was actually the bedroom. Mm. So uh, so we moved through that whole thing. Um, but yeah, mostly it's it's working with them and making sure that, that you know, I've got the stuff that I can, that I can handle inside because it was all natural windows in the original bedroom there. Um, you know, and then the whole thing with the bed and we had to make sure that that thing could light up and, you know, it was, it was, they built that thing all from scratch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, but yeah, so yeah. And then obviously all of the big pieces, I mean, those big plaster pieces that some of those folks were carrying were real heavy, you know, statues and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And then you, you were saying that you had, uh, natural light coming in in sort of those bedroom scenes and largely the entire thing. Um, were you really just letting it go natural or like how are you handling that? I think I warmed it just just a teeny bit just to kind of take a little bit of the blue off because, you know, when we went inside the, the closet where all of the ties and everything, well, I don't know if everybody noticed the Panavision hat that was in there too, by the way. No. Uh, yeah, it, it, one of the corners as we kind of go around, there's a Panavision hat there from the time that he was working with the kids from the university, remember, and he was directing and he had that silly <laughs> yeah. Panavision hat. There are so many Easter eggs in those scenes. Man, it's unbelievable. But um, yeah, so uh, uh, we went in tungsten in the, you know, that whole closet area. It's all tungsten. It's all warm tungsten. Um, but then, you know, we did that on purpose. I did it on purpose so that we popped the colors because that was the big thing. I mean, you know, it's seeing all those ties and those silly pocket squares and you know all of the range of colors in there. It's just fantastic. And then obviously the the safe room reveal and all that stuff in the mirror was you know was a lot of fun. And what are you flying? Mm, in, in the safe room, yeah. you in the safe room. It's yeah, all fluorescent. Yeah, just 
on uncorrected fluorescent just to make it go green and feel it, you know, make it feel kind of like what it was supposed to be at least. <clears throat> now, from a lighting perspective for that scene, are you operating from a dimmer board and like going up and down on it on brightness throughout the house? I, that's, uh, I've definitely done that many times. I didn't in that particular scene. Um, we, we had an, I, you know, I do, uh, I do have a single channel, uh, um, um, remote so that I can control the stop remotely as it goes. Uh, so I can open up a little bit if I need to or close down a little bit, but uh, I try not to move it too much. So, uh, so yeah. Um, but yeah, we have, a, we have a fantastic dimmer board operator on the show. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, we've done that too, you know, because I mean, when you, when you come around 180 degrees, the light that was backlighting you a second ago is now going to create a camera shadow. So as you probably <laughs> well know, so yeah, you almost have to, you're kind of forced into it, you know, to a certain extent. So you're sitting there at command central, you're, you're looking at your monitors. Are you physically like changing your F-stop and, and adjusting anything on the fly, like as you're working your board? Abs uh, I don't work the board, actually. Yeah, you know, oftentimes we'll cue, the my gaffer will cue the, the dimmer board operator, if, you know, if we have cues in there. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I am definitely controlling the stop. I'm adjusting it all the time. Uh, you know, the big thing is to make sure I don't overdo it. So then we have to undo it later on, post, yeah. but which has happened a couple or I, you know, you get a hit, you get a uh, radio hit on the, on there and the thing pops a little bit or moves a little bit, but for, for the most part, it works really well. You know, I, I'm, I was a convert. I, uh, <laughs> I started out, you know, I absolutely, you know, coming from film, I never touched the stop and, you know, they kept saying, well, you want a remote? No, 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 I'm fine. And then finally, you know, I caved in and now I can't, Keep my hands off the mic. So you resisted for a long time? <laughs> I did. I did. Because, you know, I mean, it was from the time when, you know, you gave the, the assistant the stop and that was it. You weren't, unless you absolutely had to do something and that was all done by hand on the lens. They're not even on the lens anymore. So, you know, anyway. When, when did you start, when did you start embracing that as a technology? I would say that it probably was actually when I came on to the third season of Saul. Really? Uh, it was, yeah, it was something that Arthur had uh, set up for him. And um, I thought about it, you know, in the past and I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, it's just as easy. I can, I can put it in here as, you know, as I can tell the assistant, obviously. And then, and pretty soon I'm touching it a little bit, you know, and then <laughs> now I'm opening up a half a stop and yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's hard to, hard to, Leave it alone sometimes. Are you the type of person that in, in normal circumstances, are you a little bit of a, a little resistant to the new kind of filmmaking technology and you, you almost need to be convinced that it's worth your time to investigate? No, I wouldn't say that. I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty open to, to new technology. I think it's, you know, it's just I was on a series at the time that was all film and it stayed film. Uh, we didn't go digital until... 2010, I don't think so. I mean, we, it was late. Um, so yeah, um, so that you know, it was just a, it was a way that I had worked forever. But you know, I mean, I, I certainly adopted lighting with with LED technology and even KinoFlow technology. I was on the leading edge of that. You know, working with Frieder and on a series that I did called Babylon Five back in the yeah. day. We were some of the early early adopters of some of his stuff. You know, yeah, I think that the the LED stuff I think was an easy. That was an easy thing to jump onto because it's so convenient. And yeah, I mean, it didn't have the warmth and whatever of tungsten. It's getting better, but just the convenience is unbelievable. Like that's an easy one to jump onto. Um, 
It was amazing. Like, not even that long ago, we were having discussions here on Go Creative Show uh, and just like, do we really need to shoot 4K? Like, there was a resistance in bumping up to 4K from HD. It seemed like that was a bigger resistance than the LED lighting. Uh, And I know I'm dating myself in the show, but it seems like from a technology standpoint, people were more resistant to the 4K jump than they were to LED lighting, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and it, well, I mean, I guess it's uh, it, you know, there are archive costs involved, so you know, it's, there's a certain amount of, of studio influence there too. Actually, I did a pilot not that long ago. They wanted just me to shoot in 1080. I was like, still recent? Uh, just over a year ago. Yeah, the pilot, wow. the cleaning lady. Yeah, I, I we had the camera package all built, and they were in the middle of prepping it, and all of a sudden, I got a call from the producer saying the studio called and said. What are you doing with a 4K package? We're, we're you know, we're delivering in 1080. Uh, we don't, we're not even going to archive in 4K. And so, anyway, we went round and round, and they finally just ended up saying, "Okay, fine, we'll do it for the pilot." And then, of course, they fell in love with it. And now that's the way the show's done. Oh my so. God, that's wild! <laughs> yeah, well, see, I, I was blown away. I was absolutely mystified. It's still going on today. Are there are there technologies that you are starting to see now kind of creep into professional work? Is there like, what are you seeing are the, is the next frontier of filmmaking at your level? Um, I think it probably is, uh, you know, some smaller cameras, uh, you know, being able to get uh, large format looks with, with smaller and smaller cameras. I mean, that's the whole thing, you know, I mean, those little cameras have a very specific look and depth of field that kind of gives them away, but, uh, but, you know, they're getting, you know, bigger and bigger chips into those little tiny things. And, and, uh, and if you can get that kind of depth of field, you know, we did some, some mount cameras that we did every kind of strange new, you know, trying things out. We, you know, we did the boxing scene with a, with a head mount camera so we could have the gloves in the foreground. Uh, uh, we weren't, you know, last season, season five, we, uh, was it? Yeah, it was season five. Yeah, we dropped a, a camera down through um, a drain chute. You know, they were supposed to be a drug delivery that was going that yes. way. And so we found that little camera that would fit through there. And so, yeah, I mean, we're always on, you know, I mean, it's it all comes from Vince, all those crazy angles and places that you have to try to get to. And oftentimes it, you know, it means getting into the tiniest camera you can get your hands on, you know. Did you, I, I, I think I read that you guys used a Blackmagic pocket cinema camera for a scene in, in season six? Yes, that scene we're talking about right there. So we used we uh, we got uh, the a smaller gimbal. The the I think it's the RS two, the new DJI RS two. Um, anyway, but it, yeah, we flew the Black Magic with our uh, with uh, um, actually their Zine. We have a set of Zine Prime. So at the beginning of what's a Zine Prime? I don't think I've ever uh, heard of that. Yeah, there. Uh, it's a it was a well, so <laughs> it goes. Uh, back to El Camino, we were going to do a scene in that junkyard where we were going to crush the camera. So we got a Blackmagic cinema camera and we were going to put it in there and we we got these really uh, funky little lenses that were very inexpensive. Uh, X-E-E-N, right? Uh, they're Ronicon... Anyway, but um, so we obviously didn't want to spend a bunch of money on a camera and a, and a lens package that we were going to squish, but needed to be prepared for it if if, uh, if Vince did that. So um, at the last minute, he kind of changed his mind. We didn't we didn't actually crush the camera. So we've been carrying that thing forever with that little tiny uh, set of primes, which is uh, which has worked out really great. I mean, they, they, it's it's been a, a great camera. Now we upgraded to the 6K Pro. Uh, this year, um, but that's what was on that gimbal that was walking through that whole opening scene and saw for season one. I mean, I'm looking. I'm one. looking at them now. Rokinon Zine 
primes. Maybe we talked about this when we talked about El Camino. I, I forgot, but I have it here and I'll put it in the show notes so you guys can check it out. But they're Rokinon Zine primes here. Oh, look at that. So you ended up and, not crushing the camera, and you ended it, you carried them around into this season. Yeah, we carried. Yeah, we used that thing on you know so many shots where the, we didn't want to obviously jeopardize one of the uh, one of the Alexas, uh, or you know it was a, a fit. As a matter of fact, there's a very uh, the shot that really sold me was on Bagman when we were in that place where they were dismantling that bloody car, and the and the two cousins pull up. So we had two cameras over the car. And that shot, the reflection shot of the uh, in the puddle there of the cousins pulling up, mm. which was the one of the broadest exposure ranges of of about any shot I think I've ever done. And man, that camera just held right on and, and gave us a great picture. So I was, you know, I was absolutely convinced from that moment on that uh, that camera could handle just about anything I could throw at it. Yeah, and it's and sometimes too, like the it's weird. It's like those small little relatively inexpensive cameras sometimes have the most robust like control options. It's it's wild. It's like the more professional cameras are a little bit late to the game when it comes to, um, I keep wanting to say manual control, but it's the total opposite that I'm saying, um, remote control. Yeah, it's, yeah. They seem to, the small cameras seem to give you those features when the big ones don't. So like I imagine with Blackmagic, you probably had a lot of great control features. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and again, you know, I had the, you know, I got the remote stop on there and, uh, and, um, uh, we have, you know, a complete control of that camera. You know, you can change this. As a matter of fact, that whole opening scene in episode one was all shot at 36 frames. You can see it's obviously slightly slow motion. So, uh, which we had to do a bunch of tests on, make sure we didn't have any flicker problems, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, no, it's, uh, and you're right. It's, it's all very accessible. Anything you want to change quickly happens very quickly. It, it's a really well-built camera. I, I love that thing, man. It's really, really been great for us. And since we're talking about cameras, let's talk about your your main camera package for Better Call Saul. What were you using? Uh, we were using an LF Mini this season, so we've changed just about every season. Um, I, but the uh, the LF, obviously, we used for season five. The Mini wasn't out yet, um, but uh, when we went to the Minis, you know, three we had three Minis that we carried this season, um, and uh, they're Panavised, uh, and we used the Panaspeeds. Uh, is our main prime lenses, you know, and the Anjanu small, uh, the um, what is the heck of the name of that? The, the zoom, anyway. I'll think of it in a second. But uh, so you know, but mostly primes. We we pretty much stick with the primes uh, on that camera. It's uh, uh, and I love it. I mean, it's the the color science uh, with the Alexis is just fantastic. And yeah, but you know that again was kind of born out of necessity. It was you know they the Alexis or uh, Airflex didn't have a four K camera yet. Uh, when we did season four, um, and uh, and then in between doing El Camino, I used the uh, the Alexa 65, and just was absolutely sold on on their imagery and color science. So uh, so that was that was the easy one to convince Peter of, you know, making the change uh, back to the or over to the Alexa. And single camera this season, or did you throw in some other angles? Oh, yeah. No, we shoot two cameras almost all the time. I mean, we have them both available, too, if we have any full A camera or B camera complement. Um, mm -hmm. But, we, you know, we have the thing about that show is that we don't ever put the two cameras side by side. We don't use it for to, to get two setups at the same time. We're always kind of looking for a more interesting angle, something else that would, you know, would advance the story rather than, than you know, get coverage. Uh, so, so that's, that's our big thing. Cause you know, the, 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 the coverage camera really only has one great place to be. Yep. And you start, 
putting two in there, then you're compromising both. So, so yeah, we're firm believers in that. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. We, we, I just directed something that was more on the comedy side, and we opted to have two cameras, one on each talent, just because we didn't want the performance to run dry. And we're not, we, you know, it's non-union. We're not using like union talent and all that. So, but definitely, it's you do compromise. When you are just setting up for two angles at the same time, you are you're compromising your lighting. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and and you know, sometimes even that cross coverage, although we've not uh, above being above doing that. I mean, I remember well in season five, uh, Ray and Bob had that scene where they eventually end up talking about getting married, and it's a big kind of a surprise mm. at the end. And they really wanted it to be fresh, and they wanted, and, and the director, who was Michael Morris also, uh, wanted to be able to intercut the take. So we actually, I, I sacrificed a little bit of the lighting quality. It wasn't too bad, but we cross-shot that coverage so that they could intercut the actual takes, and that's exactly what they did. But, you know, uh, that's once in four seasons <laughs> they've asked me to do that. So. At a good moment, too, because yeah, that absolutely. was one of those scenes where you're like, oh, I think I know where this is going, and oh, gee, I guess I don't. Oh. <laughs> so. Hard left turn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what these guys are known for. Oftentimes, it seems like, you know, they did some really amazing stuff at the writing. I want to talk about a shot in the first episode of season six that begins with this just incredible, super extreme close up of an ant on a fingertip and pulls out two, um, you know, relatively medium shot as it pulls out, but it is such a dramatic move and so unexpected. Uh, even in the world of Better Call Saul, when you kind of expect the unexpected with some of these shots, it still surprised you, which is really a testament to just how great you guys are. Um, talk to me about this shot because there must have been some incredible logistical challenges to pull this one off. There was, absolutely. You know, we uh, uh, we discovered the, that Laua probe lens um, in season five with the, with the original ant sequence. Uh, one of my, uh, actually my loader, uh, Jesse Heidenfeld, actually turned me on to it. But um, so that lens allows us to get to those places that you can't get. It can focus all the way down, almost almost to the front element. And it's a, a 24 millimeter lens, I'm pretty sure. What was the so, name of the lens? You know, as close as... It's a LAWA, L-A-O-W-A. -A. I'll put a Lawa link to Pro. this in the show notes, guys, so you can check it out. But sorry, continue. <laughs> No, that's okay. Uh, so, uh, so again, Michael had this idea uh, that he wanted to try out. And uh, we actually, again, brought, while we were still in prep, we brought, uh, I was actually a stunt guy and the ant wrangler and everybody on stage. And we rehearsed this with the crane to make sure that it would work. It was even possible, you know, to achieve what we wanted to achieve. Because there was some specific timing that happened to have, had to happen with the sun, too. So it had to happen in a, you know, there was a, like a one-hour window that was going to work. Um, so yeah, so we luckily had rehearsed it, but you know, of course we get out there and the ant, uh, that they were using was, I don't know what clumsy drunk. <laughs> I, I know it kept falling off the finger and, uh, and it, it looked like we weren't going to be able to do it in one shot that we were going to have to somehow break it up. And all of a sudden there was just this magical take that happened and uh, and that was it. I mean, Michael was just over the moon and that, you know, that's obviously the take that they used. To, so yeah, it was, it was surprising and uh, pulled together for us. <laughs> I can't... Just to show you, you never know what you're at the mercy of, right? <laughs> 
I was so curious too, like the management of this ant. I've done animal stuff before. I've worked with raccoons and cats and dogs and all sorts of stuff. And it's such a, like when you have a tr- like an animal talent on set, it's a whole thing. And I was wondering, watching that, I'm like, I wonder if there was someone like dedicated to the ant performance. I, I had to know. Like what, how did- Not only- not only that, not only was she dedicated to the ant performance, but the uh, the uh, animal, society, the humane society is there to protect the ant. So wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, she's there making sure that we don't do anything to abuse the ant. So uh, so anyway, so yeah, so uh, she she was right there just off camera, and she you know she would literally move back as the camera was moving back, so that she get get right back in there and put the ant back up and kind of direct them a little bit. But you know, I mean like. You know, how do you direct an ant, right? Uh, <laughs> that is so insane. What do you do? Like, were they, like, was she, like, flashing things? Or, I mean, how do you get the attention of an ant? She, it sounds so crazy. Re- yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. They've got these really soft little tweezers, and she picks them up every time he fell off and put him back on the finger. And, and you know, I mean, I, I kept trying to think, well, what the heck is the ant thinking right now? What is going on? You know, I mean, I, it just get me off this darn thing. And thankfully, the actor, you know, the guy that had been in the in the episode, in the season finale at the uh, at the end of season five, that, that big shootout, you know, was one of the assassins there. He was such a such a gamer and, and you know, willing to sit there. And he's in the sun, you know, it's cooking and the ants crawling all over him and he doesn't know if it's going to bite him and you know it was uh, anyway he was great he had all that prosthetics on and he, he was fantastic so i was but, actually going to ask you if it was a real hand or not because i'm thinking at that close to not have any movement at all in your finger that's like incredible i mean obviously the guy's not really dead so it's like the finger just the slightest teeniest movement that close up is going to be magnified yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Although, you know, I mean, I, I mean, he didn't, he was amazing that way, but I mean, I know on other shows, I mean, I, you know, when I did CSI, they would do that, things like that all the time where they had to make people dead. You mean, obviously people breathe, they twitch, they, you know, you have involuntary movements that you can't control. So, but yeah, I don't think they did with him. I, he was absolutely dead still. And even I'm sure, you know, with it going, you know, through his mind that that ant could bite him in any moment <laughs> if you really got pissed enough. But yeah, it just, you know, it was one of those magical better call soul moments. So, you know, it just, you, you don't, uh, you don't anger the movie gods by asking for another one or, or questioning the gift. You just take it and move on. <laughs> exactly. Good advice. We've got a question from Truett Morrow on our Instagram at Go Creative Show. Um, how has the season, season six, evolved? Well, actually, his question's about how, how have all the seasons evolved? And you've certainly worked on enough of them to speak, you know, from a perspective of the entire series. But what has been the visual evolution of the show? Um, and sort of where is it now in season six? Um... Well, I mean, I think it has, it's developed in its own way to a certain extent. You know, Saul is a, is a much more stable, landed show. Uh, we don't do push-ins, you know, unnecessarily. Maybe do a half a dozen of them all season long. Um, and for me, lighting-wise, it's, it's, it's progressed into a much more natural-looking environment. You know, um, that was in the, you know, going back to what you were talking about, embracing new technology and the digital. That's one of the things that I've discovered along the way with the digital that, uh, that I don't need. You know, I can light with practicals mostly on the street, you know, adding street lights rather than doing, you know, big condors up and stuff like that, which I find looks, you know, much more natural, kind of embracing the natural uh, imperfections of street lights, you know, the, the sodium 
paper or, the or whatever it may be. Um, so that's kind of progressed. It's gotten a bit darker, I think, uh, as has the story, uh, as it kind of moved closer and closer to the, you know, colliding with the Breaking Bad world. Um, so, and, but, you know, I have to say that, that, you know, I went out to lunch, uh, when, uh, when I took the job the first time with both Vincent Peter and at that first meeting, they said to me that we would rather you go too far and have to reshoot something than, uh, than to feel like we left something on the table. So, uh, and Peter's one of those guys, you know, I mean, he's had a, an American photographer subscription since he was 12 years old. I mean, I couldn't no way. find my rear end with both hands when I was 12 years old. You know, I mean, he's really that visually oriented. So, and really loves uh, cinematography. So, uh, you know, and obviously Vince too, but, uh, you know, very much so. So, uh, so, you know, it was, uh, going darker and, and trying new things and, and experimenting with stuff was, was, you know, was right up their alley and they loved every bit of it. So it's, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure working with those guys, you know, as I said before, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, it's, uh, I would say it's gotten darker. Um, I think we've gotten a little, Closer and wider um, as we progress to slightly wider lenses. I mean, the LF, the large format uh, uh, frame allows you to, you know, to be wider with with a, a lens that's not so distorted. So, uh, so that's part of the thing that I think has happened a bit with the LF. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's you know, it's just been a collaboration as that whole thing is. You know, we are all firm believers that we're all better. We're better artists as a group than we ever could be individually, and so uh, together, you know, we'll come up with something that we all love very much. So. Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, for that matter, are kind of known for these really interesting angles and strange shots and different perspectives, and we've talked about a couple of them just in the first episode of season six alone. Uh, looking back on you know all the work that you've done with Better Call Saul, do you have a favorite? one of those types of shots, like one of those signature Better Call Saul unique shots? Oh boy, I don't know. It's probably um, so many. And also yeah. like, where, where does that, where does that influence come from? Because it it's, is a signature of the show. It's absolutely comes from Vince. Vin, you know, that was an idea that Vince, he, you know, he always wants storytelling wise. And then of course, and again, it, it always has to be driven by the story. We never do a shot because it looks cool or whatever. It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta advance the story. It's gotta be driven by story. But, you know, as a storyteller, Vince has always wanted to get into places that you wouldn't normally be able to put a camera because nobody even thinks that, you know, uh, you know, at the, at the front of, you know, looking through the hole of a, of a, a gas cap as somebody unscrews it and pours gas lean into or whatever uh it may be so uh, you know, uh, and he's also, he loves to do everything in camera, you know, like all of those scope shots, all of the shots through the scope and Bagman, that's all done uh, in camera. We had an, uh, an A7 II that we would set up with that scope pushed up against it and uh, and shoot everything through it. Um, so uh, so that's kind of where it was driven from. But, uh, but you know, it's it's evolved and, and I would say 90% of them are actually in the, in the script to begin with. Uh, really? They're written... Yeah. Uh, you know, that group says they stay together for a very long time and they're very collaborative, each, you know, even though each individual person writes their own script, but they're, they're very collaborative in the development and they, and they come up with those things together. You know? And then season six, uh, Vince was 
who hadn't been involved the last couple of seasons as much. I mean, he was, you know, worked as a director, obviously, but uh, wasn't as involved in the writing because of COVID, was with them for the entire year. And so they all wrote all together uh, and uh, has a lot of his influence in there, obviously, as you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, what a what I guess a silver lining in everything that went on uh, is to have those relationships kind of deepen a little bit because you're you're you know basically like in a bubble with these people. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know I think to a certain extent he wanted to be he wanted to be involved even if there wasn't because he was uh, you know it's it was the end of the of the universe and you know something that he created and obviously has been a huge influence on his own life so and everybody else's so yeah absolutely uh, I, I think he wouldn't have had it any other way you know I um, mean directed three of the episodes it's like none none of the ones that I did I don't know if I should be offended but. <laughs> All even numbers. He's like, is Marshall doing that one? I'll pass. Yeah, I'll, pass. I'm gonna do, yeah, I'll do the next one. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing that Better Call Saul is really known for, and Breaking Bad as well, is these just absolutely stunningly beautiful desert vistas. Uh, that, you know, I think one of the things, we had Michael Slovis on. It was one of our very first shows for Breaking Bad's final season. And... At that time, we were talking about these just desert vistas and how it's such an important part of the series. And it carried on with Better Call Saul. And each one of them has always really given you a feeling. You know, it, it they're so intentional and they never just feel like, oh, just send a second unit and grab a couple shots. It always feels so intended and specific and story-driven. And sometimes you don't even know why. It just has a feel to it. So I'd like mm -hmm. to talk to you about the way that you approach these kind of iconic Breaking Bad and, you know, Better Call Saul, Desert Vistas? Uh, well, first off, it's, a, it's you know, I have to say it's a gift from New Mexico right from the beginning. I mean, there's, you know, you have to, you you look up and you go, man, oh man, how you, and you look, turn around and half the crew's, you know, off taking photographs in the background <laughs> and you're like, maybe we should take advantage of this. Uh, um but also, you know, story-wise, Vince, from the very beginning of Breaking Bad, you know, really shot that show as a feature, in a feature film style, mm -hmm. uh, that he wasn't going to pander to small screens, and they've gotten even smaller, um, that uh, he was going to really shoot it in his own style. And a lot of those, because, you know, the, like you say, they, they have a very strong, they bring on a very strong feeling. They have, a, they have you know, they really can tell a story. Um, so yeah, and and I think this crew learned early on not to move in too quickly because you never know we can you know we can jump out and do one of those wide shots when the either the weather the sun the, the clouds whatever is, is just right. Uh, so uh, so yeah, it's it's always in the arsenal, especially if if the opportunity presents itself. You know that whole back area behind where the studio is, which is where all that stuff pretty much is shot, unless we go to you know like Tahajali specifically for for uh, like we did on Bagman. Um, but uh, but again, you know, it's it's New Mexico, man. It, you can't go wrong there. You really can't. It's those beautiful clouds, and especially in the summertime, they are just gorgeous. Uh, and uh, you know, and and the air is clear, and yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. How are you structuring your days, knowing that you need those wide exteriors? Like, do you do you are you sending a second unit out, or is that something that your you know first unit team is doing? We have, but I mean, one of the things about the show is we, the second, I mean, we have 
almost always have the actors in the shot. We don't really do yeah, shots just true. for shots. So, so if you do second, send a second unit out, you have to send them with the talent. Uh, we did it on Bagman for a few of those scenes. Um, uh, Gordon, the guy that wrote it and actually directed episode three this season and episode four last season, um, he would go out and do some second unit um, with the actors if we had some time. But um, but that's the big thing. I mean, it, it almost always has to be done with the A unit because, you know, it, it involves the principles and, and, uh, and you know, it's obviously part of the storytelling. So, uh, yeah, they so rarely do those those shots where it's just about the background, you know? It's, I mean, it, it happens, but not that often, so. And when you're in these exterior locations for Better Call Saul, how, what's your approach to daytime exterior lighting-wise? Well, for, you know, like for most, you know, as, as it is for most, I, I you know, I, I check the sun paths. I, I try to put us in a lot of backlight whenever possible. Uh, we try to time the day so that that is tr that that's the case. Um, but I also, you know, I, I I have to say, and this is probably a, a good bit of advice for some of the young up and coming filmmakers that when I when we went to the location scout of the painted desert on El Camino, and we were taking photographs all around and, and shooting the whole location and trying to figure out, we realized that the backlight really didn't show the color of the painted desert. And so, uh, and that the, it, it, it really looked better in either like a side light or a front light. So we ended up actually going in a complete reverse direction on, on El Camino. So, you know, keeping your eyes open and, and, and being open to those ideas, because I mean, as a cinematographer, you know, that's the cardinal sin shooting in front light, but, but, you know, occasionally something that, something like that comes along and you have to keep your, keep your mind and your eyes open for it, you know? So you found in season six, uh, after your experience with El Camino, that you were just embracing the front light for these desert shots sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah, because it really can help show the colors and really pop, you know, some of the some of the uh, some of the background. So, um, yeah, it's just more about kind of keeping uh, keeping uh, uh, an option open that you know that anything can happen. That you know, all of a sudden you can see something, and it's like you can't always be sure that your rules are gonna are gonna be the right thing. You know. So in season six, we've really established this Saul versus Jimmy uh, situation, and there there's an at oddsness to it. There's there's a there's a change in this character over time, not just obviously a name change, but you know, becoming Saul for Jimmy meant something more than just a name. Like this was setting up for what eventually becomes Breaking Bad. There's there's differences in their personality. There's differences in their movements. He's evolving as a person. How does the camera in the lighting change over time during that transition from Jimmy to Saul? Well, uh, um, I don't know that it necessarily did that much because, I mean, Bob really brought so much of a, you know, of a difference. And then obviously the third character being Gene, uh, which is a whole different persona. I mean, I, I, you know, having done all three of them in, in three days, in three separate, you know, day connected days, I, uh, I really noticed the physical differences that, that he brings to all of those characters. It's, it's absolutely uncanny. But uh, so, you know, for Gene, we have the black and white, which uh, which is a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. um, and for Saul, uh, for a lot of it, when whenever, whenever I mean, not as Saul was developing, but whenever we flashed forward to him, you know, we shot film because they did all they shot 35 on Breaking Bad. So like the opening of the that um, uh, episode last I think it was 503 last season. 
Um, that was all shot, you know, when he's in his office and he's packing to get out, you know, he's about to go on the run. That was all shot on 35. Um, mm -hmm. so, um, so that was, that's part of the look change. And, uh, this year we actually did it more with a green introduction because, uh, to completely change out the, the camera packages, uh, was going to be, you know, was going to be too tough for any of those flash forwards. And there, and there are a few along the way. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say it's kind of a more saturated, uh, and you know, I, I, there's a lot of makeup on Bob because they, they, when he is Saul, uh, at least in the flash forwards, he's like, he was a little heavier back then. So they try to duplicate that as much as they can. Um, but also, you know, you know, we do a lot of that stuff with the lenses too, you know, getting closer and wider and really getting expressive for that stuff, trying to get in people's heads, uh, you know, being on the back of his head a lot when you can see that, you know, what he's looking at out of focus behind him, but it's more, it's kind of more important to be in his head. I mean, those are, those are all things that we, we definitely did more of as we went along and as he kind of made that change. And also, you know, now uh as he made the change you know at first uh kim wasn't kind of along for the ride and now she's kind of driving the whole thing so uh so you know he's his unsurety you know uh, about that whole thing is is uh is also part of it too that we have to embrace so. uh, there's two things in season five that i wanted to talk to you about and i'm not even sure if you shot these episodes so if you if you hadn't then certainly let me know but first thing it seems like Better Call Saul is is so aware of the filmmaking industry in a way. Like it's it almost like jokes about just what filmmaking is to begin with. There was a particular episode where Jimmy, uh, where uh, Saul is filming his what what ended up being like the blackmail tape for Mesa Verde um, when he was making like he was make, had actors playing Mesa Verde um, customers and all that. Did you shoot that episode? Oh yeah. Absolutely. All right. So absolutely. the dialogue in that, I was, I was watching the show with my husband and I'm like, this is what every shoot is like. Like they've, they've captured the essence of corporate video production and low budget commercial video production so perfectly in this scene. And if, for, for those of you guys that haven't seen it, just imagine everything you've ever experienced on set coming to life. It's like, I, I'm watching that scene. I'm thinking to myself, like, you guys get it. Like, you understand the plight of small, corporate, inexpensive video production. It just made me laugh. And um, I just wanted to kind of get your take on that because there's so many little Easter eggs and tongue-in-cheek moments. And I think you really did the, you did the industry well by highlighting what it's like to do stuff like that. <laughs> You know, again, that's that's uh, it's funny. That's such a collaborative thing. You know that the it was a lot of it was on the page with those three guys. You know, they're spray painting the green the sheets to make them green so that they can get the green screen going. Uh, you know, and then Bob behind the camera, yeah, you know, hit it hard, but not too much. You know? <laughs> um, but a lot of that was him riffing too. You know, I think a lot of what they used was him. You know, when when you turn Bob loose with comedy, man, you you just have to get out of the way sometimes. But <laughs> So, but yeah, yeah. And I'm sure he's heard most of those cliches along the way too. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was so much fun to do. You know, we were, uh, you know, Michael, that was actually funny enough. Another Michael Morris episode um, that, uh, you know, between 
Michael and the visual things about the, you know, the screen and the kids and the camera and, you know, what they were doing. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. And then Bob, you know, getting out there and just riffing about, you know, everything he's ever heard along the way. It was so good. And, you know, it's, again, it's for us, um, you know, the best part sometimes is even reading the script for the first time. You know, you're just laughing like crazy and, you know, and going, oh my God. And it's always ends up so much better than you can even imagine, you know? So it's, uh, it's a real, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. The whole, the whole premise is basically like they're trying to do a commercial and they realize it's too expensive. So he does this, it tries to do it on the cheap with green screen. And it is just so silly and so hilarious that anybody listening to this show, you're going to think that that scene is ridiculous. Even like the build up to it when they're talking about uh, how the producer, his, the producer that he hires is like, you can't do it. Like you cannot do this in one shoot day. It's impossible. It, it was, it was every discussion I've ever had with every client. <laughs> it was yeah, right, exactly. perfect. Yeah, it was yeah, perfect. Yeah, um, that's awesome. That was last thing I wanted to mention, and I don't know if you shot this episode. Did you do the episode where they were stuck in the desert? Season five? Yeah. Bagman. Right. Uh, oh, oh, no, it's season five. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bagman. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Great. So, I mean, we've, we've mentioned it a few times throughout, throughout this interview, but the whole episode basically takes place outside. You're in the blazing hot desert. There, there must be some, there must be some lessons that you learned. I mean, you've shot in the desert so much because of your experience on Better Call Saul, but are there things that you learned along the way that you can share with our audience that, you know, maybe haven't had that experience before shooting in the desert, things you don't necessarily think of, um, you know, ways to protect the camera, ways to protect yourself. Are there things that people just don't really know making shooting in the desert so particularly challenging? Well, that was quite the event, let me tell you. Uh, I mean, where you put the whole company uh, when we're, you know, turning around in every, looking in every direction um, uh, is the big thing. And, and, you know, how do you keep people cool? And then, you know, obviously Albuquerque is at 5,000 feet. Um, so, you know, the altitude, you know, wears on you too. So, uh, I, you know, I think it's mostly about staying hydrated. I mean, the, the cameras actually were were the least of our worries, which I was very surprised about. I mean, obviously, we tried to take care of them as best we could. But our biggest uh, challenge up there was the rain. We got we got pushed, you know, chased out by, you know, huge rainstorms. Uh, wow. Probably a half a dozen times yeah, while we were shooting that, that episode up there. And that episode, you know, we were doing nine-day episodes. I think we went to 10-day episodes uh, in season five. And... Uh, and that episode was darn close to 20. I think it was 19, 19 days. Wow. Um, so, uh, I mean, that shootout on the corner was an entire week. And every possible weather pattern you could imagine, fog, rain, sun, I mean, you know, that's the big thing. You know, like, I, I would say the biggest thing is that you're, uh, it's easy to over-polarize the desert, you know, to get those really brilliant blue skies and really kind of try to pop the clouds. I would say that's the biggest thing is to, is to and then that I learned kind of early on and trying to match those shots uh, and also making them feel more realistic that, you know, you dial the puller in until you've got this, you got it, you know, all uh, optimized as much as you can and then back it off just a little bit. So it's not quite so heavy handed, you know, um, uh, even though it feels right uh, the other way. Um, but uh, but that and you know trying to stay water. I mean, holy smokes! You know, and just trying to take in enough water in that heat is just un, uh, almost impossible. We had 
whole trailers that were there that had, you know, uh, sprinklers going that people could just go and sit in with a fan going on it, you know, would try, that would cool you off because it was so hot up there. Those steamers too, like I, I just recently gone to um, to Phoenix and went up through, like tore up to the Grand Canyon and stuff. All throughout Phoenix, you see all these steamers everywhere. Like it, they just, there's like, it's weird. It's like open air, air conditioning, just steam and not, not even steam. Well, I guess it is steam, but it's like, um, uh, oh, what's, it's just water basically being sprayed on you, but it's so, it's so particleized Fine that it, mist, it, it yeah. yeah, it's just a misters. That's the word. It's just a mister. And they're all over the place. I'm assuming you had those. And then you have to think like, where does everybody go? Where does, where, every time you want to turn around, you got to move everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And every one of those, I mean, there's, you know, 30 trucks going down the road um, uh, because that's the only place to park. So, uh, you know, we we use um, a lot of the, you know, the ATVs and trailers like uh, as can so we can keep the trucks to a minimum. But I mean, even those misters, I mean, that comes in a big trailer. That's got to be there. The camera truck's got to be there. Uh, So, you know, they they stack up pretty quickly. Um, Yeah, that's the big thing. you got to be really careful that you that you know when you're going to turn around and and that you're working really closely with your transportation captain because, uh, because you know, at any moment, you know, the director go, oh, I got to go this way now. And, oh, boy, I just promised him we weren't going to turn around, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, you know, I, I, it, one of the funny things that actually happened up there, I should tell you, is we were shooting on that corner during the shootout. It might have been the first or second day we were there. And it's in, on a reservation. It's reservation land. And so they were clear with us that, that locals would be coming in occasionally. We probably maybe had three or four during the day. So about two o'clock in the afternoon, this gentleman comes driving by and we kind of wave to him and he slows down. He stops. And he rolls down his window and he says, y'all better get out of here. And we were like, wow, that wasn't very nice. So what was that about? So off he goes, you know, waves and takes off. So about an hour later, the sky opens up and unloads on us. Oh we are God. throwing stuff into the trucks and we all go, oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> like he, he could smell it. He could see he'd been there so long. He knew when that rain was coming and he was trying to warn us, you better get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and we just completely took it the wrong way, you know, but anyway. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there was, a, there was a day that we were there. We got chased off after one shot. We got one shot. Oh my God. Yeah, right. It was the big stunt. It was the flipping truck, but it was still one shot. Hey, well, that's a good yeah. shot to get off if you, if you have to get it. See, the lesson learned there, always listen to the locals, I guess. They always Absolutely. know what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, uh, the show, obviously, Better Call Saul, it's coming to an end. It's already ended for you and coming to an end for us as, as viewers. And wow, what a ride. You guys just, congratulations on such an amazing show. I mean, oh, it's just been- you so much fun to watch and be part of this world. And I think myself included, and I think a lot of people listening are going to go back to Better Call Saul. I'm to, uh, better, Breaking Bad after Better Call Saul. And I think it's just going to be in a perpetual loop. We will always yeah. be watching one series or another for the rest of time. Um, yeah. But really, congratulations on the show. It's just oh, fantastic. And good luck with whatever is next for you. And, well, you know, on that note, what is next for you? <laughs> 
What do you got going on? Uh, well, I'm in Atlanta uh, on the show. I'm in prep on a show for AMC right now called Damascus. Uh, it's a little bit different for me. It's kind of a sci-fi comedy, uh, single camera comedy approach. But uh, but it's a really great, it's written uh, uh, by a guy who's a playwright. And, and it's just incredibly well written. So I think uh, I think people are going to really enjoy it. And then after that, I think I'm headed to LA maybe to do a feature. So we'll see what happens. Fantastic. Marshall Adams, Better Call Saul season six, of course, We'll have all of your information in the show notes. But thank you so much for coming back on Go Creative Show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Ben. It's a pleasure, man. It's fun talking to you again. It's good to see you. All right. I want to thank Marshall Adams, the director of photography of Better Call Saul season six and five and four and three and all sorts of things. And he's been on the show a few times. So head over to Go Creative Show, search Marshall Adams and check him out. He's such a great guest and uh, we'll definitely have him back for his next project. I also want to thank Connor Crosby, who produces the show. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. And of course, Dave Siegel, who mixes and masters and makes the show sound so good. You can find him at siegelsound.com. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where we put exclusive content and you get to see the conversation. So not just hear it, but see it. So it's a great way to experience Go Creative Show. We hope you guys go over there and check it out. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. And if you want to follow me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Consoli, B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. Thank you all for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. Thank you.